What's going on, guys? Welcome to the show. Welcome back. It's Action Movie Anatomy. We're back on a Wednesday afternoon. We're talking about one you guys have been asking for for literally a hundred episodes. It is the movie that came out in the peak of this man's career. We're talking Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World, the Russell Crowe gem, ten Oscar nominations. We'll see you guys in just one quick second. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now... Here's Popcorn Talk's action movie anatomy. Boom! Oh, yes! Would you say that this song right now is your fist pump moment from this movie? Yes. <laughs> I can only imagine how much sweeter this song or this movie would have been if this song was like playing while they were like rowing and battling. Oh my god. That would be like ready to go to war. <laughs> What's going on, guys? Welcome to the show. Welcome back. It's Action Movie Anatomy. We're here. It's Wednesday. We're talking movies. Master and Commander. It's kind of ironic that we're talking about a movie that takes place entirely on the sea whilst Los Angeles is literally on fire. Yeah, it's a crazy day here. Uh, Some of you guys live closer. I'm sure you've all seen on the news. Um, It's weird when you read reports about, like, suburban California. And yeah. about like, like like acres of like wine country burning. Oh, you mean like rural California, NorCal, yeah. and even even just like Ventura County. And you're like, well, you know, it's like That's not, not here. The heart of LA, and then like it's burning on the 405 between your house and here. Yeah, and, and I had to take like a the, different freeway. Yeah, and my um my the lady that I've been seeing say she, her family had to evacuate this morning at five. Yeah. In Bel Air, the whole thing. So is her house gone? They don't <clears throat> God, I hope not. They have such a nice house. Um but she doesn't know. She still has no idea. So to everyone in California in the areas where the fires are, please be safe. Our thoughts are with you and um Yeah. Hopefully you have time to watch Master and Commander and check in with us on AMA. To I'm really about, Yeah really curious to talk about this movie man i saw this movie in theaters when it came out because oh you did i didn't realize you had seen it i, I didn't you know what i mean yeah. like so <laughs> full disclosure here <laughs> uh that was the first time me and my girlfriend at the time had like messed around during oh, a, movie. In a movie theater it was master and Commander. i'm happy you saved the story for the show yeah yeah i, <laughs> I was like wasn't sure if i was gonna say it or not but like this is my girlfriend at the time we dated for a couple years in oh. high school i think i was 15 when this movie came out and in the theater i just remember there was two movies that I that there I messed was two around. Two things in. I was focused on during that film, <laughs> <laughs> and it was it was Master and Commander and Welcome to Mooseport. Oh, were the two movies. And, uh, couldn't, couldn't you have paid attention to the ten Oscar on one and not Mooseport? Look at look guys, the Welcome <laughs> to Mooseport one got even more heated. I'm uh, sure there, I'm sure you could have like not paid attention to like White Chicks or some movie that you saw. White Chicks is a gem. <laughs> you like uh, it more in this movie? I, I really do. <laughs> um, but yeah, so as I am rambling on here. I remember nothing about this movie, yeah. and I was actually pretty excited to talk about it because I'm a huge fan of Russell Crowe. Yeah. Full disclosure, uh, T3 Rise of the Machines, is my that's mine of those. Is that really? Yeah. yeah that's the one. Everyone's got to have one. Yeah. They're so good. Yeah, Maybe great. that's the segment we should have done on today's show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I had known. <laughs> uh, yeah, so so uh, we watched this movie. I had not seen it since theaters either, but I did watch this movie in theaters, um, you know, because I appreciate fine cinema. <laughs> because I am a respectful <laughs> cinema viewer. And, uh, yeah, we're here to talk about action movies, guys. You may be asking yourselves, is Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World, an action movie? Well, after the first 20 minutes, it's not really. Yeah. Um, it has it has a little bit more action. It has some tenacious drama. It sure does. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're going to address all of that. We cover action movies on the show here on the Popcorn Talk Network, the online broadcast network dedicated to talking movies, all things movie-related, and pop culture by the bucketful. Um, those movies on the show adhere to four basic rules. Number one, the hero always plays by their own rules. 
Lucky Jack, Captain Captain Jack Aubrey. I know. I wanted to do a segment of like our favorite Jacks, Captain yeah. Jacks. So I was like Captain Jack Sparrow, Captain Jack Aubrey, and I was like Captain Jack Sully, and I'm like that's not his name. <laughs> and then I just gave up on the segment. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. I quit. Uh, rule number two: the hero and the villain are always the smartest people, beings, things, whatever in the room. Yeah, he and the he and the other captain are the smartest, and that's one of the best parts of this movie is they decided to focus on that yeah. and the fact that from the very beginning, from the opening frame, he's impressed by this other captain. I like that. Yeah, the battle of wits. It's fun. It's cool that he's that. He's done this to me twice now. It won't happen a third time. Yeah, it's it's so crazy because you think about like battle on the water. Yeah, and it's like something that I I, I mean, obviously, I have no idea what battle is like in any. <laughs> I've never situation. been in a battle. I've on never the water been before. in battle battle <laughs> in the water ever. But like you watch a lot of movies and you're like, oh, I can kind of figure out like what you're doing as like a fighter pilot, or I can yeah. kind of figure out what you're doing as like a infantry on horse or like yeah, right. a sniper. But in water. The things that are used throughout this movie, you kind of you don't even ever think about it because it's like it's so disconnected from anything we've ever right. watched. Like when they lose him the second time by using the small raft and the lanterns. Yeah, that was such a cool moment because like you would think it wouldn't work. Yeah, right because it's like one light goes out and another one comes on and they're like ten yards closer, but it's like such a far distance. Yeah, like, I don't know. There was there was just such a cool thing about the disconnect and in the water and like. It takes you to a different world that you just don't understand. I yeah, guess. yeah, for sure. I think that's probably some some of the coolest stuff. Rule number three: the movie is driven by police, military, political, or mercenary figure. Yeah, totally military. Yep. Um, and yeah, and that's and it's awesome. And he's a he's a great great military commander, commander a captain. captain. Yep. And rule number four: the movie contains a minimum of one explosion. Absolutely. I, I guess the cannons. Yeah, I mean, every single time a cannon goes off, which is technically an explosion, and it shows the explosion. Yeah, and yeah. the ship's getting, I mean, that ship gets lit up in yeah. the beginning. One thing I thought was really cool was that, um, and I never thought about this, that if you go to sink an, an enemy's ship, you would attack the ship and decimate it to the point that they could no longer maneuver. Yeah. But as long as the ship still stands, you then take it over, fix it, and it becomes a your ship as part of your fleet. Totally. You, like... And I would I had never thought about that. As you watch the ships getting destroyed, I couldn't really fathom in my mind like fixing a ship, a sinking ship at sea. It was like, yeah. what? Like it's just gonna sink. How do you guys I know? I'm like exactly this is what I'm talking about. Then when we go back to like talking about movies with boats, I'm like, well, there's a hole in it, so do you just throw it away? Yeah, right. You know, like, <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so I thought that was like really interesting, and that's a cool moment at the end when he gives the ship to the to the guy, uh, to his, you know, his younger crewman or whatever. But uh Anyway, there's a lot to talk about in this movie. We are going to get straight into it today on the show on Action Movie Anatomy. We're going to be talking about the power of the ring, one ring to rule them all. Mm. What does an Oscar do to an actor's legacy? The ones that have them, the ones that don't. We're going to be talking about top five Russell Crowe. Each of us have our top five Russell Crowe movie list. We're going to compare and contrast those. Uh, and then we're also going to be doing all of our other fun things. Favorite line, fist pump moment, thesis statement. I struggled on a thesis on this one. I did too, and I'm also struggling that you haven't mentioned that I'm wearing blue and white. And you're wearing blue and white. Nautical colors for the master and commander show. <laughs> and you didn't say anything. Uh, Marissa, if you could just cover us up with the trailer so Andrew can cry. Just We're going to watch the trailer right now to the movie, guys. <laughs> I don't remember this trailer at all, but I think I was stoked on it because I... Yeah. Theaters, Russell Crowe. Already selling the movie is not what it is. <laughs> His hair is just outrageous. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> I love that Russell Crowe was like he he decided to learn. Down! All hands down! 
to play Land. violin for this movie. Came out of I have some things to say. Seven about weeks sailing, and he happens in darkness. Hold your thoughts, please. Well, then perhaps he was looking for us. My orders were to follow as far as Brazil. I exceeded my orders a long time ago. Mr. Lamb is confident with basic repairs. We can get it, home as we are. It's We're not going home. It's basically with respect. Everything about this movie is so much better in concept than in actuality. Exactly. It's so much cooler watching the trailer and imagining like this like brilliant Australian director, this tactician captain. I like that's like basically like it's not good enough. More than twice our guns, more than twice our numbers, and they will sell their lives too. She's taking the war to the South Seas. We are supposed to stop. It's a lot more exciting. Yeah, I mean, when I went and saw it, this is what I was expecting. <laughs> and you got something else entirely. She could be halfway to Cape Horn by the time we repaired and underway. This is a ship of war, and I will grind whatever grist the mill requires in order to fulfill my duty, whatever the cost. Have you forgotten your promise? Subject to the requirements of the service. Yeah, I mean, someone just said it. They're, they're literally trying to sell this as a pirates. Yeah. The first Pirates of the Caribbean was 2001. Same years. Oh, it's the same. And actually, Kieran Knightley was also supposed to be his love interest in this, which is hilarious. It'll actually tie into our uh, question of the day. Jacob Leaf asked what we're going to address later in the show. far side of the world, this ship is our Jacob Leaf, he's in the chat. What's up, Jacob? like it is two hours and 40 minutes it's two hours and 20 minutes and it should have been two hours yeah exactly it yeah i kind of want to like cut the segment of top five crow and ask over under properly siege on bettany i just think it's so interesting because like paul bettany's a dude that has been a massive star throughout the last 15 years and we don't even notice it. it's like a knight's tale and then like you go to firewall where he's yeah. like opposite harrison ford and then you go to a movie like this where he's lead with the biggest man in the world beautiful mind two years prior to this exactly best picture also with russell crowe at the top peak of his career and then you look to, at paul bettany now and he's vision yeah so but at the same time i feel like he's one of the most overlooked wimbledon Wimbledon, one of my favorites. I'm sure you've seen it. I have. <laughs> uh, anyway, that's just something that popped in my head. Let's get back to the show. Oh, really quickly, guys. Um, we have social media outlets that you can find us at. Oh! Uh, you can find me at Andrew Guy on Instagram and Twitter, and you can find the Facebook fan pages for Action Movie Anatomy. It's just called Action Movie Anatomy fan page yep. on Facebook. And yep. um, there's tons of people in there. We're getting towards 1,200 people, and there's people in the chat. So hi, everybody. Good to see you. Hey, speaking of which, where's Eddie Green? Eddie Green kind of disappeared. I haven't heard from Eddie in a while. That is so true. Skynet Army, any of the stuff I've seen you popping up, man? Where are you at? If you're watching this, listening to this, uh, say what's up, man. Interact. Let us know you're you're doing cool. You're doing cool. Oh yeah, because he did his anchor channel that was doing really well. He was well doing too. Bigger, bigger Boat, boat movies. movies. I just yeah. Ha- yeah, I just haven't heard from Eddie in a while. Anyway, yeah, so hi to everybody and Eddie. Um, so we're gonna get into the episode here. So the trailer looks sweet. Uh, we're gonna get into the very first segment of the show that we do, and that's called thesis statement. Thesis statement's your big bold thought, your 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 biggest thought about the film, something mm-hmm. that you believe absolutely to be true um 
it should be rooted in hyperbole. It should be your strongest argument about the film and the thing that if the movie came up, you would find yourself arguing with someone about and, and really just... I, 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 like, thought night and day about this. I could not think, could not think of a thesis that I felt was exactly what I wanted to say about it. It's very tough. The more research I did on the movie, there's a lot that... <laughs> there's a lot I want to talk about, but I, I honestly think that Russell Crowe claiming that the hardest thing he's ever had to do as an actor is learning to play violin for this movie is the most Russell Crowe thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> and you will ever hear in your life. Right. I, I should even go beyond. It's, it shouldn't be so personal. It's the most Russell Crowe quote in the history of the world. Well, I mean, come on. The one, the one on Gladiator is pretty perfectly Russell Crowe as well. Yeah, but it's, it's different because he's just talking about writing. Right. He learns fucking violin for like for like three minutes of this movie. Right. And like everything about it, him with like the hair playing the violin is Captain Jack Aubrey. I'm Lucky Jack. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. so preposterous. It's you're so just like ridiculous. You're like, this is such this is like a this feels like this should be an old spice commercial right yeah. now. Yeah, is yeah, what yeah. it should be. His shirt's gonna get ripped off. Yes. There's like a tattooed treasure map on his chest. Something like that, <laughs> exactly. It was like all I could think about when I was watching this movie was He's a combination of just, like, such a ridiculous, over-the-top caricature of this, like, brash captain. And he's a really good actor, so there's moments where he, like, really brings it to life, and I'm totally in. Like, my fist pump, right. I'll get to in a second, is, a, is one of those moments. But him playing violin with Paul Bettany twice in the movie... But it ends with it. Yeah. <laughs> him with playing violin was just, like, too much for me. It was, like, yeah. the, the fact that you, like, took the time for this role to learn to play the violin... It's just, it's everything. It's like, that's the amount of time you have as an actor, is to learn to play the violin. Your job is, as an actor, to learn to play the violin. Like, it's just everything about it. He, like, made everyone uh, wear their uh, different colored shirts, depending on their ranking in the film, and they had to sew their own names into it. It was just, like, so much extra. Russell Crowe wanted to form a sense of authority on set, so he had all the actors wear shirts according to their character's rank. Officers wore a dark blue, midshipmen wore a light blue, the Marines wore red, and everyone else wore white. The actors also had to sew their own name tags on each shirt, a tank top, a short sleeve shirt, and a long sleeve top. It's like... Imagine the guy that's getting paid for one day of work, it's like 300 bucks, and he's just like, I gotta sew four fucks fucking shirts today <laughs> like, I don't know how to sew. and on top of that crow's like it's basically crow showing up and being like i'm the biggest star here and you will create this world for me nobody else gets to wear a dark blue shirt nobody <laughs> like take that off my grandma uh, gave me that shirt. you're fired <laughs> sew it it's gonna turn up my you just talk right now okay i'm gonna keep talking uh well it's interesting because i think that your thesis uh, statement thesis statement is horrible no uh i think that you actually said what i wanted my thesis statement to be and i was trying to figure it out and i come up with many iterations of it but everything about this film conceptually seemed incredible totally actuality fell completely flat everything well so i do disagree with you on that because as much as we're poking fun at this movie i actually quite enjoy it i don't think it's as good as i wanted it to be so i'm a little on the opposite side but i hear what you're saying I, I agree. I think the other one was that I, I think that, like, this movie's biggest misstep was giving it heart and trying to give it heart. And, oh, I, sure. and I say that a, that that's the opposite of what I normally say. But, like, right. I think if you would have just made this a dumb action movie about two boats chasing each other with, with Russell Crowe at the helm screaming, yeah. I would have loved that movie. Right, right. But my point of, like, 
the violin playing and like you know spending all that time creating you know all the you know they said on set they played rugby together and they created this camaraderie i didn't get it on screen yeah and then like the whole thing about that dude being the jonah of the ship and then killing himself really quickly was like supposed to be like and it probably on this show would normally be our explosion of emotion moment yeah right but it was just like what i just had to rewind it to be like did i miss something the guy it happens getting, over the co- course of like two minutes the guy getting cut loose in the water was my explosion of emotion moment what do you ask oh that? yeah, that's yeah that's, that is a good moment yeah. that is a good moment but you know, and then like the violin playing at the end as well. A lot of it just it seems awesome, but then when it happens, it's kind of like. Eh. Well, the trailer does such a good job of getting you excited for the nuances of a movie like this. Yeah, you find yourself watching and being like, "God, this is going to be sweet." Because so before we get into fist pump moment, I just want to frame something for everybody watching this, and and this will be we'll talk a lot about this today. But one of the thesis statements I was toying around with had a lot to do with when this movie came out. Um, Richard Eric Jarvie posted this is peak crow it's it's more peak crow than people realize it's not just peak crow like this is in his stretch because he had a stretch he's one of the guys that has one of these really impressive incredible stretch yeah but more than that russell crow had in 1997 did la confidential in 99 he did the insider both of which got him academy award nominations the following year he won he wins the oscar for best actor and gladiator wins best picture the year after that he's nominated for best actor and the movie he stars in for that also wins best picture yep he didn't do a movie in 2002. He took the year off. Just to chill. It was probably to learn how to play violin. Yeah. And then this movie came out. Now, this was the first movie to star Russell Crowe since his two films winning Best Picture back-to-back and him winning a Best Actor Oscar. Right? It's the first one to come out after a full year away from movies. On top of that, he's an Australian actor working with the most famous at the time Australian director yeah. of all time in Peter Weir. Yeah, and that's exactly why he wanted to do this movie so badly. So when this movie came out, that trailer shows like this is like the and he was it's he was pretty much the biggest actor in the world in 2003. Crow? Like, yeah, yeah, for sure. I would say he was the biggest. Yeah. And so this movie was supposed to be so much more than it was. And I think that the world when it came out, everybody from the academy to audiences to critics, they kind of talked about it like it was what it was supposed to be, but Looking back at it, it does feel like it just misses slightly. It's not a ten Oscar nomination movie. It's no, like, and it's and, and and again, it's not that I dislike the movie. My my other thesis that I had was that this movie feels the most like a movie that I went to the bathroom at the wrong point when I didn't actually go to the bathroom. Like you're just waiting. I'm the just whole time waiting, for it to or I missed something the whole time because I don't dislike it, and yeah. I think the reason that I dislike it even more is because I can't figure out why. It makes you feel. Stupid. I don't like it so much. It makes me feel dumb. Yeah. But I don't, I, you know, I went back and I told you I read, went back and read the synopsis again today. And I was like, no, yeah. I got everything, but I just feel like I'm missing something. So I don't know, man. I, again, I, I really like this movie, but I just feel like it just misses a little bit on its execution. It's, yeah, it would, this would be a hard movie for me to convince myself to watch again anytime soon. It's a little slow. It's a yeah. little slow for what I wanted. So we're going to get into the next part of it, though, which is a sweet part. We're yes. going to be talking fist pump moment. This and is there that, are some good ones yeah, in yeah. this. This is the moment in the movie something happens. You look around. You're like, yes, this is so sweet. Are you seeing mm-hmm. this right now? This is awesome. Ah, the, I, as I say, these days, it's usually actually when I'm watching the movie. At the point in the movie that I text Andrew, this movie is fucking sweet. Yeah. It's usually my fist pump moment. Yep. Uh, there's usually one of them. And uh, mine last night is actually, it's early in the movie. Because I think the first 25 minutes of this movie is probably the best part. Yeah, it's, it's pretty great. Um, you like me. It's when you meet. Captain Jack, and he's like pretty awesome, and he's got a lot of swagger. Yeah, you can just see that he's he's hard to be shaken or rattled. Yeah, he's and very it, comfortable. He's he's the smartest guy in the room, you know. Like he's, and then as the ship starts to come together, one thing that I thought was really cool is the cannons go off, and their ship starts taking fire. 
and it's like sh- people are getting blown up and there's wood flying everywhere and there's a mast coming down yeah. and like he's so calm and collected they're kind of all are sort of calm and collected in the moment which is interesting because it's like it, it all seems like it's happening so fast but at sea there is still somebody steering the boat but it's going very slowly yes. so you're kind of getting out of range so my my moment is when he's He's storming through the boat after the attack first starts, and he sees the little kid. Oh yeah, it's a um, great moment. Or is it? Yeah, I think it's the little kid, and he's like he's crouching down, and he looks at him, and he says, "Stand tall on the quarterdeck, son, all of us." And you're yeah. like, "We all stand tall on the quarterdeck." Uh, we all stand tall on the quarterdeck. Yeah, and us. that's pretty badass. That was yeah. that was totally my like. Yeah, this is like this is why Crow got this movie is because he's he can carry that. Yeah, he can make you feel that thing. He's, he's your yeah, captain. He's Maximus. I mean, he's that's... A, yeah, exactly. Like, he couldn't have won the Oscar for Maximus if he couldn't pull that off, so... Totally. And and a lot of the... A lot of... Again, and, and, I, and I need to stop because I, I'm not hating on this movie, but it's like in the script there are really great lines and Crow has great execution, but when he does them, you're just like, that's a Hollywood moment. Whereas in Gladiator, he says things and you're like, yes. Yeah, you right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, but there's still, there's both, there's both of them in there. But my fist pump moment, that was one of them. That's a really great moment. And then I have my fist pump and my favorite line is almost the same thing. So I'm going to move my fist pump to a different point. Cool. Which is the very end. Okay. It really was because I... I, I don't know why. It's like, even though I don't really love this movie and I felt like it, it carried on a little too long and I'm not dying to watch a sequel. Yeah. I love the fact that Crow is is like almost more... He's definitely perturbed. He's definitely a little annoyed, but he's almost like on to the next battle. When he realizes that he's yeah. been duped right. by the other ship's captain, he's like, the doctor's been dead for months. And I was just, that's when I was just like... Yes. Yeah, like, right. I don't know why, but I, it was just something about it where I was like... This is good. Like, I love the idea of these two captains, and the one of them you don't even know, you know? And we talk about, like, how these movies need good villains so often. This guy's such a great villain based off of nothing that he did. Yeah, you, you only see him for a brief second at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was, anyway, at that moment when he realizes the doctor's gone, he's like, you know, the same time that the doctor, or that Bettany realizes he's not going to get to go to the Galapagos. It's yeah. just like, let's go. Totally. Yeah. I, the, the Bettany Galapagos stuff, I understand why it's in the movie, Um it's hard. He's the co-star. You mm-hmm. like they're trying to build out a co-star a little bit. There was no female love interest, so yeah. like you needed something to sort of give the movie like a little bit, like you said, a little more heart and uh, a little more depth. Something interesting to contrast Crow and his like sort of because Crow, unfortunately, as like sweet as he is in this movie, is pretty one-dimensional. They don't really give him any relationships other than Paul Bettany that matter. Yeah, Bettany's definitely more interesting. Which I I I hate that they didn't do this. Um, they didn't even just mention that Bettany was a spy in the novels, which is really adds depth to his character. And before he plays his cello, he does this thing with his finger. Yeah, I saw that. And you read that in the thing, and it says that like if they would have just alluded to him being a spy yeah. and talked about him being tortured and how they'd broken every bone in his butt, like in his, his hand, hand, yeah, it would have just given just like I would have cared about him being a. a a naturalist just that much more, just because well, there would have been something else going on. Because they say the line at one point where he says they they have their. They have their ears, and he says, we have ours kind of a thing. I think there's that's one of the lines in there. I think it's supposed right. to suggest that we have our spy, kind of. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, that's so So I, I hear you on that. And, and uh, there is something really cool, because it's got that Sherlock Holmes, the game is a foot feel at the end. Yeah, when he's When you're like, he's going to go track this guy down. Um, we should do the first Sherlock Holmes on this show. The Guy Ritchie one? Yeah. Mm. You don't like it? I just don't like Guy Ritchie. I feel movies. like you got to watch it again, man. Maybe. Yeah. I love that movie. Yeah. Um, all right, so those are our fist pumps, guys. We've got some in the chat here. Crow getting duped, um, which is the same as mine. And a lot of people's is just his hair. Yeah. Comple- completely understandable. <laughs> uh, Max Perkis. 
He plays Lord Blackeny. Okay. I was in total awe about his performance, says Jarvie. Who is he? Uh, Lord something, Max Perkis. Max Perkis. Hmm. I'm not sure. Uh, what'd you think of the surgery on himself? Uh, that was cool. It was pretty cool. Yeah, it was cool. I actually thought that the <clears throat> surgery on the dude who, the, like, ruptured oh, cerebral hematoma thing yeah. or whatever, I thought that was more savage. Pretty gnarly. Yeah, that was pretty wild. That's cool that they, I thought that was a cool thing to include, that he would have to do surgery at sea on these guys with, like, dirty tools, basically. Yep, yep. And just, like, hope that it comes together, and he puts a coin in his head. <sighs> yeah. It was savage, but it was cool, yeah. and it's cool that guy comes back. Yeah. Um... That was such a trip. I thought that was pretty badass. All yeah. right. So what we were talking about with these guys and their careers, this is this is exactly what we're saying. So you just said it. Uh, Crow did Gladiator in 2000, Proof of Life in 2000, and Beautiful Mind in 2001. Um, there's and- not there. I don't think that there's a more like when we when we do uh, star profiles on the show. I don't think you could come up with a more uh, kind of holy shit moment in someone's career than this. Well, I'm pretty sure Nick Cage in the mid-90s <laughs> had quite the run. Well, he did, <laughs> but I... I no, I know what you're saying. In the, in the, you mean like the level of, of uh, acclaim these movies all got. Yeah, the level of expectation. I, I just don't think there's anyone. Like, the, there's some people that have really impressive stretches. Like, Leo's had some really impressive stretches. Um, but Leo also didn't win his Oscar for a long time. Yeah. And he was fighting to escape the pretty boy thing. Oh, the kid who got his arm amputated is Max Perkins. That's what I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, He was fighting to get his Oscar for so long, and also he was fighting to lose the pretty boy thing. It's almost like what should have been the prime of Leonardo DiCaprio's career in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. The first five years of it was spent trying to convince people that he wasn't the kid from Titanic. Totally. And it only was like around, you know, it was like post The Departed. It was like late 2000s that people finally started appreciating the fact that like he wasn't like the cute guy that Spielberg put in Catch Me If You Can that just happened to work well with the role. Like he was already a phenomenal actor. Very good at Yeah. He was already doing it. We just only wanted to see him in a certain kind of role. So it took till like 2008 like revolutionary road territory before the world was willing to give him to give Which him a is shot so funny because he'd been doing such great work for so long really quickly um i just want to say we got miss movies in the chat hey what's up brian uh we're very excited we're gonna have brian on the show very very soon and we'll let you guys know when in the pitch um <clears throat> but like we were saying getting back to the show that stretch his like four-year run is absolutely insane so then you go to Bettany's career on the other side of it and this is a guy that is working his way up I mean honestly he could do the same three movies right now and I wouldn't be surprised even though he's vision never saw the heart of me never saw the reckoning saw dogville weird hard to watch uh exactly I could see him doing the same type of two movies I've never heard of and another one I'm just like what he's basically just Michael Shannon they say this <laughs> he is I mean yeah. he really is he's just like a very good character actor that's like appreciated and respected thrown in a superhero movie and like who knows what's going to happen with him Paul Bettany to me is totally that guy that if he was in an acting class with us like if we were like I went to acting school when I was younger if this was the guy in acting class that was all super intense and always blowing everybody away and we were all sure he was going to be a star but he wasn't like super square jawed handsome like he just was that guy that's so good 
And then we look up, and 10 years later, he's Paul Bettany. That's exactly what he feels like. He's that guy that's totally. probably so talented and so intense. And just like, yeah, exactly. So, so talented, so so intense, takes his craft so seriously. And he probably got the lead role in everything in high school and everything in college and all the theater companies, and he was always the lead, even if he didn't quite exactly fit the physical. Right. Because, or, like, he was that good. Or, like, instead of being Romeo, he'd be, like, Mercutio or something. Like, just really, the, yeah. the, the most interesting character in every play. And then he started getting in movies, and everybody was like, yeah, he'll be the... He'll be the character actor friend, the supporting guy, yep. the villain. The, and he was just going to be that guy. But he always got the role. And everybody that works with him is and probably he, like, he's so talented. And he always does such a great job. So you look and you see him. You see the uh, these two guys in their careers. And it, it would be fun to talk like duos in movies because we've done that before. Yep. Um, but yeah, Bettany and Crow worked together on A Beautiful Mind. And Crow's career went one way and Bettany's went another. And, and it's one of those things where I don't think... We we talk on the show a lot about character actors that I think are one day are like they're going to win an Oscar. Yeah, I don't see it happening for Bettany just because like I just feel like he's just in this weird weird place in his career to where like he'll never get as much acclaim or or yeah as he deserves. He I don't know why the, he could get the role. He could get the role. The in, Whiplash in or the, something. The Whip. Well, yeah, the Whiplash or the like. Willem Dafoe in the Florida Project, the kind of role where you're just like, oh, it's this indie that came out of nowhere, and he's just outstanding you know he's working with this and you're like oh paul bettany's on the radar this year but it's not going to be that he's he's not going to be in this movie as the second guy and win for this kind of a movie in his career yeah it's not going to be this it'll be it would be the indie which is this what it would feel like it should be yeah back then back yeah. exactly this will be he would be the festival darling guy that would win the oscar that's what it would be um so we want to talk about something here with russell crowe before we move on and this is the idea we talked about one ring to rule them all the power of an oscar this happens a lot in sports culture it's what we use the phrase ring yeah you know in sports when people talk about the greatest of all time it's always championships Always. In every sport, it's always the exact same thing. Doesn't matter in stats, doesn't matter MVPs, doesn't matter anything else. When you're talking about the best of the best of the best, it's always, well, he's got four rings yep. and he's got one. Or he's got zero. The power of one championship, one Oscar for someone versus none, is everything. Russell Crowe has an Oscar. <clears throat> he won it for Gladiator. Yep. He's got, I think at this point, five, I would I would guess, nominations. I know... LA Confidential, The Insider, Beautiful Mind, Gladiator. He didn't get nominated for this. I think he got nominated for Cinderella Man. And I don't yeah. think he got another one until sometime in the like mid-2000s or late 90s. Maybe it's just the five, five, six, something like that. So if somebody wants to... Marissa, would you mind checking on that for us, actually? Be all right. <clears throat> and then... Marissa Serafini up in the booth, by the way, who has never won- seen this movie, by the way. Marissa's never seen this. Oh, yeah, really? I haven't seen it. Oh, hey, I can hear you. Yeah, you sound excellent. Even though you guys are kind of mad about it, but I'm, you know, I, I'm open. I'm open to watching it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's Crow in, in the peak of his career. He's great. Um, when Peter Weir started making American films, we'll talk about this in a second, he's only made like six. They're, they're all worth watching because he's truly one of the great directors ever to live. Yeah, he is. Uh, I'm pulling it up here as well. Actually, you know what? While she's pulling it up, I'm going to talk about So The One Ring to Rule Them All, it's really interesting because I, I took this as as um, as a thing of people who'd won rings, people who hadn't won rings, and like yeah. you know people who should have. The first one I want to talk about, which I think is the most interesting, is Daniel Day-Lewis. Yeah, right. He's, if, all he does is win ranks. Right. Yeah. But what if he didn't have his two Oscars? Three. Excuse me. What if he didn't have his three Oscars? <laughs> yeah. What if he actually just kept getting nominated? Yeah. Was had... always seen as like an incredible actor. Yeah. But then never won. He wouldn't get movies like, uh, I can't, what's such a weird name? The, the new Thread. One? Phantom Thread. Phantom Thread. Which is supposedly, the early reports on it are that it's like 
a masterpiece. Of course it is. Yeah. Of course <laughs> it's a fucking masterpiece because it's Paul Thomas Anderson, it's Daniel Day Lewis. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. one of the greatest writer directors ever and one of the greatest actors ever. Yeah. But it's like if Daniel Day Lewis was to never have won an Oscar, yeah, and he was just phenomenal. It's hard to imagine. So I'll tell you, like we can we can look at this a couple different ways, and I think it's important to talk about men and women oh. because it men will get more acclaim they'll get talked about in this in this conversation more uh-huh. um just because it's hollywood and they get the starring roles he's only been nominated three times crow yeah insider gladiator and beautiful mind he wasn't nominated for la confidential Mm-mm. really Mm-mm. i thought that that was crow. i thought we looked at this before and I, I knew he wasn't for cinderella man huh three nominations but i, I was sure i was wrong because i'm terrible at movie trivia these days weird um all right so i was way off on that one but uh, nonetheless, three Cinderella nominations. Cinderella Man was the one where we're supposed to. I think things were supposed to happen. We were all kind of like, "What?" Well, yeah, Master like, Commander and Cinderella Man. Yeah, like he he had. The, so anyway, um, the point is like, if you you can look at like a bunch of different people. So let's take Day Lewis on one end of the spectrum. Yeah, where's a crazy talented guy that everybody knows he's keeps winning him. Let's look at Gary Oldman on the other side. He's got one Oscar nom. Yep, in his whole career. Everybody knows Gary Oldman's one of the best actors alive. He everyone should knows have an, as- an Oscar. Yeah, everyone knows that. He doesn't. He's just, for some reason, that guy that only has one nomination for Tinker, Taylor, Soldier, Spy of All movies. Yeah, which was, like, so boring. Yeah. <laughs> I tried watching it the other day, man, I, at the end of the night, and it was not one of the movies that pushed me into, I'm going to keep drinking. So it's so boring, up, right? Yeah. It, yeah. Unbelievably boring. And I like really slow, like, it's yeah. a movie that, anyway. Um, so... And then you think, about, you think about women, and you yeah. think about, uh, let's take Jennifer Lawrence and Emma Stone as good examples right now of two people who it's like, if Emma Stone hadn't just won her Oscar, I think the script on Emma Stone is completely different than it is right now. Yes. She's now in, dis- she could play anything right now. And Jennifer Lawrence the same way. In both cases, she was Mystique, and she was in David O. Russell movies, and she was good, and she was in Hunger Games. If yeah. she hadn't won an Oscar, it's like, Jennifer Lawrence can't be the person that you're putting out there to lead your period piece to drama. To do anything. Like, the fact that she won an Oscar proves that she can do anything because not only did she win it when she was so young and so talented, it was while she was doing a bevy of everything. Yeah, it's when and, she was doing Hunger Games. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, uh, I, I love that you mentioned her because the other person that I wanted to mention that's like it just because of this show is Tom Cruise. Right. And I think that Tom Cruise actually benefits not, by not winning an Oscar. And, and it's crazy because we've talked about one of the worst things and the best things that happened in his career is winning and, and not winning an Oscar. And I, yeah. think, I think that he <laughs> – the mummy wouldn't have happened. If he'd won an Oscar, which sure. I think is a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> but neither would MI5. Right. He wouldn't and, do it in a career. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. It's, it's really tough. So you wonder about, like, the one ring to rule them all. And, and we always talk about, I mean, not we always talk about, but the world always talks about everything happens for a reason. Yeah. And you wonder, because there's some people out there like the Jamie Foxes of the world and the Halle Berrys and, like, the Colin Firths. Yeah. It doesn't matter that you won an Oscar. Yeah. It didn't really... It yeah, doesn't right. affect who you are today, really. Yeah, right. You know, like Colin Firth can go and still do Kingsman, Kingsman after doing King's Speech and not do anything really in between where you're just like, oh my God, Colin Firth. You yeah. Know? So it's just it's just a trip because it's not the same as sports, I don't think. Well, so like... But you have to have at least one. I, I think what we can talk about is that there's people that live above the line and below the line. Now, there's ones that are close on either side. So let's talk about Crow, because that's where this conversation starts. Okay. What does Russell Crowe's career look like if in 2000, instead of him winning the Oscar for Best Actor, it was to go to, like, I'm trying to think what the hell else got nominated that year. Uh, Shakespeare? No, that was no, the year before. No, it was, like, Traffic, um, Aaron Brockovich. Right. Um, Pollock. Requiem. Did, like, Ed Harris get nominated for Pollock? Probably, yeah. If, what if Ed Harris had won the award for Pollock that year? And Crow had missed, and he had three nominations, and his two movies back-to-back... 
had one best act. So same thing, but he didn't have his Oscar. Yeah. Looking back now at Crowe's career, in especially the last decade, what do we think about his career? Like, would Russell Crowe still be considered one of these, like, unbelievable thespians who's just, like, an all-time guy? Or would he be more on the same level as, like, uh, who's, like a, who's a guy who's worked a lot that just never won? Who's got, like, who we love, just never won an Oscar? I mean, Oldman. But like a star. Like a like a, a star that we know that's never won an Oscar. I mean, you could honestly just talk about Leo up until last year. Yeah, okay. And it's a Leo's, great example. Yeah, he's like so good. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. What, like, would we think about Crow is the same, in the same breath? Would he be the same guy or would it be like... No. Well, no. I don't think so Because there was something either. about winning an Oscar as Maximus that yeah. made it that much better. You know what I mean? It legitimized that movie on such another level. Yes, such another because level. Because it was—it wasn't even—it wasn't that he just made you feel, just made Ben and Andrew feel that way. He made everyone in the world feel that way. Yeah. Everyone in the Academy feel that way. It was—it was just a crazy thing. And like, he wouldn't have. I don't think he would have done it without. I wouldn't look at him the same. Whereas with Leo, it's like he he not won for so long. Yeah, and be doing such incredible work for so long that you just are like, all right, whatever. Yeah, I Just think it's, expect it. it's it's crazy that he, like again, take Nick Cage, another good example of a guy where it's like Yeah, I had Nick him written Cage, down as well. He wins the Oscar in ninety five. All this time passes. It's been twenty two years since he won the Oscar now. Um my question is like Nick Cage doesn't win that Oscar. He just he gets the nomination, but he let's say he loses to Sean Penn for Dead Man Walking that year. His career goes on, he gets his probably his four nominations, I think. It's like adaptation, uh leaving Las Vegas. Uh, I think he has like two, uh, maybe one other nomination or something like that. Mm-hmm. If that's what his career looks like, and he just goes and he goes and he goes, do we do we look back on Nick Cage's career as like that guy that was good for a little while, but then he just like, kind of sucked? Actually, is he like is he basically uh, is Val Kilmer a poor man's Nick Cage at this point? Like Val Kilmer doesn't even have a nom. Yeah, I mean, I think I don't think he's the poor man's Nick Cage because it's like his career never stooped as low as Cage's has now. Kilmer's. Well, yeah, because I think it, I think it's because when you you have you talk about the fall from grace, right? Yeah, right. It's like his Kilmer's was like a step down. Cage's was like a plummet from the heavens. Yeah, right. You know, right, right. so but I do think that Cage's Oscar win is the only thing that keeps him legitimate now because it's like you go back and you look at Cage, and if you want to talk about him being a good actor, it's like well, you always go, you know, The Rock is great, you know, the Con Air and Face Off are great movies. There's a lot of fun. You yeah. go back a little earlier and you talk about some of the things he did, but you like the one thing you can really do is you know you're like Leaving Las Vegas is really good, Racing Arizona, yeah, right. But you're like Leaving Las Vegas is really the only thing that is like he is one of the best ever. Adaptation, adaptation is amazing. That's true. Adaptation is yeah. So there's the three. There's yeah. the three right there. Other than that. If he wouldn't have won for leaving Las Vegas, it wouldn't have mattered, I don't think. I think Adaptation would have just been one of those things where like, yeah, you're great. Yeah. I mean, the Chris Coopers of the world. Chris Nick, Cooper won, though, supporting. Yeah, for Adaptation. Yeah, for Adaptation. Nick Nolte's the guy we should be talking about. He's got, like, two uh, noms, right. I think, in his whole career. Okay, well, damn he's been working for three noms. Three noms. He's been working forever. Never won. Just solid. Solid actor. Yeah. Um, anyway, I think we've stuck on this long enough. So, 
interesting conversation. What does the Oscar do to your legacy? I definitely think it increases it. I think there's people that live close to the line that don't have the Oscar anyway. Yeah. There's also people that win the Oscar that means nothing. I mean, really, it does happen. If you look at you look at uh, Mira Sorvino for Mighty Aphrodite, or you look at Halle Berry. Uh, yeah, I, I was going to say Halle Berry, but it's interesting because like she wouldn't have done Swordfish. I, someone okay. So other people that people mentioned here that, that that they love that haven't won Oscars are like Depp, yeah, Pitt, um, Joaquin Phoenix, Rockwell, yeah, uh, Affleck, Ben Affleck. I don't know about that. Um, half those he's guys, won Best Picture though. Half those guys we just talked about, I would say, don't have anywhere near the ability to get there. Yeah, um, Chris Chris Cooper is one of my favorites. That someone else mentioned, but Casey Affleck and his Oscar—that's it happens. I mean, look when you when you when you get when you're the guy that gets the Oscar out of nowhere. Like Casey Affleck's definitely the guy that got the Oscar out of nowhere. Well, yeah, but it was also in the middle of his like sexual like the whole thing with Casey Affleck is one of the most fucked up things that's ever happened in Hollywood, in my opinion. Because he ever. won the Oscar right before this all broke. It was in the no, no, he won the Oscar while it was breaking. It was like everyone. It was like. If we give this Oscar to Casey Affleck, it will be one of the biggest blah, blah, blahs. No, no. I mean, he won the Oscar in March and yeah. Weinstein broke in August. I'm not talking about Weinstein. Oh, I'm talking oh. about Casey Affleck's sexual assault claims uh, against him. Agreed, agreed. Yeah. So I'm saying it's crazy. He he won that Oscar yeah. right before the Weinstein thing breaks. Hollywood broke, which is like if, we, if this was the Oscar race coming into next year, yeah, he's not even he nominated. Yeah, which not is, even close. So not even Casey Affleck's career, honestly, him winning the Oscar might have been the worst thing that ever happened in his career because it put him in such a spotlight right before all this went down that it's just like I yeah, yeah I, honestly imagine. I hope Casey Affleck's career is over um, yeah we've been on this for a long time so let's move into production development this is really interesting because this is the type of movie where the production it's like they shot for 100 days and 10 days at sea yeah, and right. he learned to play piano and first time they shot in the Galapagos Islands again all in thought and idea it sounds amazing yeah right so what's some of the stuff we want to talk about here? So, all right, we'll start with Peter Weir because he's the most notable thing. Yeah. So let me give a quick uh, rundown on Peter Weir for those of you that are not super familiar, which makes sense. He yeah. hasn't made a movie that was relevant for 14 years. Um, so Basically just stopped. Yeah. So Peter Weir was a pioneer in the new wave sort of film renaissance in Australia in the 70s. He made movies that most people have never heard of, movies like The Last Wave, Picnic at Hanging Rock, and a film called Gallipoli. The reason mm, people know the film Gallipoli. Gallipoli from 81 is because it has Mel Gibson. It's yeah. considered... An Australian classic. My dad loved Peter Weir when I was growing up, so I've seen all these movies. I watched all the ones we just talked about, the first two. I saw when I was like eight. Um, Gallipoli I watched on my own because of Mel Gibson. Awesome. Really good. Yeah. The movie that he makes after Gallipoli is called The Year of Living Dangerously, which Linda Hunt won Best Supporting Actor for. That's the last Australian movie that he made before he graduated to American films. Right, and then when he came to America, he just started hitting Grand Slams. Yeah, well, his next movies are... Um, Witness in 85, which was nominated for Best Picture. It's a mm-hmm. big movie. Uh, following that was The Mosquito Coast, which is a little bit less action-filled, but again, Harrison Ford. These are two movies that did a big, big part in legitimizing Harrison Ford as a real actor, not just Indiana Jones and Han Solo. Yeah. His career continues. He makes Dead Poets Society, which is one of the more loved movies ever, I would say. I think Dead, I think Dead Poets Society is one of those movies like Goodwill Hunting. Yeah, no, Dead Poets is one of the most adored movies of all time. It's it's heartbreaking. It's incredible. Williams is doing exactly what Williams is best at. Yeah, great movie. Um, into the 90s, he made a few movies that weren't quite as well received. Green Card, which he got a best, support, or a best uh, writing nomination for at the Oscars. A film called Fearless with Jeff Bridges, which I've seen, which oh, is right. yep. decent. Uh, and then the in Truman. the... Or, sorry. 98, The Truman Show. Right, which I know everyone loved The Truman Show when it came out. Yeah. But now I feel like people love The Truman Show even more. Way more. And it, it's one of the greatest movies ever. 
Ed Harris is it's one of his best performances ever in his career. I think the Truman Show, like, there was a couple different factors going on at the time that I think made that movie seem a little less uh, special. I think one of the big ones is that Jim Carrey is still pretty Jim Carrey in the movie. He's doing a lot of the Carreyisms. Yeah. And by '98, he, you know, all his three big hits were all '94. So the fallout of his next few years was just like the sequel. That? Oh my God, it's crazy. Yeah. And everybody was, you know, Man on the Moon was happening. It was in production, I think. So I think there was just a feeling like people just were sick of Jim Carrey already. He was kind of people were annoyed. They didn't want they didn't want to see any more of it. And I think when you look back on this movie, it's the most relevant Jim Carrey movie ever. Um, it's it's the best Jim Carrey movie I think ever. Um, it's it's just, it's a great movie. It's like a really 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 good movie. So yeah, and then the one that he does after that is is, is this. this yeah. After that, he has a movie called The Way Back in 2010, which is like a pretty indie movie. No one really saw. And really, that's it's funny that Peter Weir, the the majority of Peter Weir's American career at this point that people our age have seen, there are two movies that happened five years apart. Yeah. And aside from that, in the, yeah, he hasn't made a movie in 25 years that people would care about. And why do you think that is? Do you think he just got tired? Do you think he just got bored? Or do you he's think like he just... 73 now, mm-hmm. so I think... But this that was 14 years ago. Yeah, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. He was like getting close to 60. Um, I don't really know, man. I mean, some people want to move at a different pace, you know? Tarantino's talking about retiring after making his 10th movie. He's been talking about it for a long time. Some guys, they don't want to just make movies their whole life. They want to, they have an idea of the way their career is going to go, and they do it, and then they want to stop. And he might have just slowed down. He had made a lot of movies. He'd been making movies in 71. Yeah, that makes sense. And it, it kind of felt like he'd probably like lost his stride just a little bit. Um, or something. I mean, yeah, you never know. It's like, I mean, Terrence Malick's the same way. He makes a movie like every five to eight years. He makes more of them now. But anyway, that's Peter Weir, um, and he's, you know, he's a very notable director been nominated for best director four times there's only four guys in history that ever have five nominations with no win those four are are alfred hitchcock robert altman king vidor and clarence brown wow altman uh, hitchcock and brown yeah and i don't know who king vidor is me neither i think it's a long time ago <laughs> and then uh you have weir who's tied with like four other guys for the same spot but i mean all there's only like 10 guys ever with four or more nominations and no wins and right he probably will never get a win doesn't well, he, seem like he it. probably won't because it doesn't seem like he's making more movies uh this book i mean this this movie was loosely based off of two books which was master and commander and yep. uh the far side of the world hence the title uh, they took a lot and they left a lot. It's it's really tough. If you go on Wikipedia and you read about it, you'll see that it's 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 almost like uh, the Bourne movies after the first one. Yeah, where it was like they just took the characters and like yeah. some of the stories from some yep. of the books and kind of pieced it together. They left out a lot of stuff about Martin, which was pl- played by Paul Bettany. Um, yeah. And this movie was supposed to be uh, followed up with a sequel. Obviously, by the way, you can tell that it ends. That it's like I think it'd be really cool if the two of them just kind of like went on a yeah, like a cat and mouse chase for a couple movies. But there was big news last week. Crow was talking about in an interview. I think it was that there's a sequel in the works that people yeah. were talking about. There at least there's interest in a sequel. I don't think it'd be a very good idea, honestly. I think a sequel. I, I don't think, either. I think a sequel at this point to this movie would. I just don't think anyone would watch it. Well, I think the wor- tying it to this movie would make people that are young, like very young, go and watch it. Yeah. And they'd be like, I'm not going to go watch the sequel to that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that's what would happen. Yeah. Uh, and also, I don't think people like Russell Crowe enough now. No, his to- last... His, his 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 move now is the nice guys too, which yeah, which is I cannot wait. Yeah, Should we just know. get into our top five crow? Yeah, well, let's talk. Uh, let's 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 go through studio stuff because we don't have a ton of time okay. today. All right, yeah. So we'll sure get through we can... the numbers and stuff. Which 
who are pretty good. A little interesting. So uh, this was uh, released by Fox. It cost $150 million to make, and it was released in November of 2003. One of my favorite months in my life. November 2003. <laughs> uh, the domestic was $93 million. Worldwide was 118 for a grand total of 212 It was uh, number two in its opening weekend at $25 million, behind Elf at $26 million, and Elf was in its second week. Um, Here's a frame of reference piece for you guys. This movie, giant release, biggest movie, biggest star in the world following up what we talked about. Yep. Total gross worldwide is $212 million. Justice League just crossed $200 million domestic and is considered one of the bigger flops of the year so far relative to expectation. Yeah. $200 million domestically, mind you. This was 14 years ago, so inflation's a thing. $212 million worldwide is such a huge and complete dump compared to what movies were making, like real successes were making. That's so crazy how much more money movies make now than they used to make. Yeah, yeah, and like you said, biggest star in the world, massive epic, Peter Weir, it just made no sense, and it's behind Elf again, and it's like, this is the power of comedy. This is Will Ferrell's moment. Yeah. He's on his way. Uh, So critically, this movie got a 7.4, and it follows exactly like what I think it would for this type of movie, and that's 85% from all critics, 91 from top, and an 80 from the audience. Which makes sense that it's lower because I, I know as a critic, you can't walk away from this and just go, it's a bad movie. Yeah. You can't. Because, again, we talk about Rotten Tomatoes and it's an aggregate score of whether it's just yes or no. Yeah. And you can't walk away from this movie and just go, no. Right. There's there's a, enough yes about it. At least 51% yes about it to say that. So it makes sense. I get why the audience rated it a little lower. But in the grand scheme of things in Russell Crowe's career, I don't think this is in my top five. I don't you think want to talk top close. five? You want to talk top five, Crow? I think so, man, because if you sit there and you talk top five, I think most people's lists are pretty similar. I know I have one in there that's just going to blow everyone's mind, and I'm going to start right now with number five, Robin Hood. You like Robin Hood? I think he's awesome <laughs> in Robin Hood. <laughs> really? I, I think the reason that I like Robin Hood is Oscar Isaac. God damn it, my career. <laughs> um, for me, it was just, I think it's just because I'm a, I love Maximus Meridius so much that it was just kind of like, the first time I'd seen Crow be him again a little bit. Even just a little bit. Is I I mean, I don't know that I've like no, I think I've watched that movie. I like I, I know I've seen it on TV a couple different times. You wanna know what uh, it it beat out? I do. I just need to figure out my fifth real quick. It I, beat out LA Confidential. Wow. <laughs> you are a gem of a person, my friend. Thank you, sir. Do you want to count down yours and I'll I'll follow up with mine just a second here? Okay. You yeah, four? yeah, you yeah. got it. Sure. Hold on. I want to read the chat, guys. I want whatever you guys think. Um, <clears throat> we're doing our top five crow movies right now. If you want to post your five in the chat, please do. We will try to get through them and read them um, online or out loud. Richard Jarvie's got Gladiator at one, Cinderella at two, Master and Commander at three, A Good Year at four, and Mystery Alaska at five. People like Mystery Alaska. <clears throat> Never seen it. Hmm. So my five are all count down. So I've got five. I got I got my five. At now. Robin Hood. I've got four. Yeah. Is the insider. Okay. Because Crow's so good in that. Three. Ah, this is so tough. Three is a beautiful mind though. Okay. I love a beautiful mind. I think Crow is fantastic in it. Yep. I almost think it might be his best performance in his whole career. Beautiful mind's really good. Yeah. yeah. Number two, nice guys. Yeah. So good. And yep. then obviously we all know more number one. It's Gladiator. Gladiator. It's, it's gotta be. So I'll jump in with mine. My number five is three ten to Yuma. Yep. Um, I like 310 a lot. I, I want to go too. back and watch it again. I, I know. I really do, too, because I feel like it would be my fifth, probably. And I think probably we should just do it on the show at some point. Yeah. Seems like a good one. Uh, my number four is L.A. Confidential. 
uh, yep. which is sweet. I still haven't seen it in a long time, but I remember liking it a lot. Number three, I'm going to go with The Nice Guys. I want that to be my number one, honestly. I know, number me too. Number two, I'm going to go Gladiator. Love Gladiator. And number one, The Insider. My I favorite know movie. you love that it's so much. It's one of my favorite much. movies. I love The Insider. I think, it's, I think it's that movie is a big deal. That movie's really good. It's highly underrated. Um, people need to go back and watch He's the really Insider. good in that. And it's, and it's totally one of those endings that you love that are just kind of mundane, yeah. a little like, you're just like, a little bleak, but it they're all very falls. real. Uh, yeah, Christopher Plummer's great in that movie. Um, he's great. It's that movie's got a great courtroom scene. That movie's just fucking awesome. Uh, guys, please look in the chat if you can. Everyone else's top fives are really we're running short on time, um, so we're gonna have to skip through me reading through all those. But some of the honorable mentions that I saw in there: American Gangster. Uh, uh, da, 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 da. Let's see what else we got in here. Man of Steel. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, yeah, I was actually almost gonna put that on there, and. Um, yeah, we'll just do those two, the two that we didn't mention. Post your top fives in the Action Movie Anatomy fan, yeah. the fan page on, on Facebook. That's the best place to share them. We'll get a thread going there talking about it. Um, favorite line, real quick sound off before we finish. Uh, he fights like you, Jack. Yeah, it's sweet. It's yeah. such a good line. That yeah. was my fist pump. Yeah, yeah. that's a sweet one. I, I like when, uh, when Bettany's yelling at him about he's doing the wrong thing. And he looks at him and he's like, you've come to the wrong house for anarchy, brother. Yes. Yeah, yeah that's a great line. Yeah. it's a great line. Yeah, I think that's a pretty cool one. Uh, um, all right, so Jacob Leaf, our buddy, asked, my MA question ties into the thesis statement, was Pirates of the Caribbean the worst thing to happen in this movie? Did its success overshadow this film too much to prevent it from becoming a franchise in and of itself? Seeing as how this was based on a book series, but Pirates was based on a theme park ride. Well, I think it has nothing to do with the book series versus theme park ride, but I do think the expectation of what you were getting at that point was like, one of them had like this super, super, super hot uh, actress that was like up and coming and Keira Knightley all over the cover. Yeah. And it was Pirates of the Caribbean and it had this Disney thing and it had Johnny Depp, who yeah. was like, he was a little bit of an, an enigma at that moment. He was like a treasure. People liked Johnny Depp, but he wasn't a huge star yet. He was, that was the movie that made Johnny Depp the giant worldwide star. Yes. People had a little bit of crow fatigue. He was. The lesser of two weevils. All right, sorry. Yeah, a little <laughs> bit of crow fatigue. He was, he was a big deal. People wanted to watch him. But obviously the wrong group of people wanted to watch him because it wasn't the like kids that wanted to see an exciting movie group, which is yeah. why the one made more than the other. I don't know, honestly, with or without Pirates, if this really should have been a franchise. It's just it's the wrong kind of movie to turn into a franchise. Yeah, I agree, man. I really do agree. And, and while I do think that Pirates of the Caribbean was a bad thing to happen in this movie yeah. because it was like, which one am I going to go see? Um I do believe that this movie kind of shot itself in its foot on its own. Yeah. You know, like, I think I think that, that it's like a slow-leaking tire. Regardless of whether or not Pirates was blowing past it, I think this movie would have just kind of, it only, its ceiling was only right here. Well, I just think Pirates came out in the summer. I mean, your question, Jacob, is the Pirates came out in the summer as a blockbuster, made a ton yeah. of money, and everybody was really excited about it. And this movie came out in Oscar season around Thanksgiving. And it might have point, been the best thing that happened to it. Honestly, because yeah. Pirates coming out and everyone loving Pirates so much might yeah. have been why I went and saw it, even though I loved Crow. <laughs> you clearly went for the right reasons. <laughs> yes, I did. But you know what I mean? Yeah, I get you. I get you. So, uh, I don't know. Do you, what do you think? Uh, I think it, I think it was neutral. I don't think it's going to, I don't think it killed it. I don't think it helped it. Um, I think if anything, what didn't make this movie a thing was that it, the reviews were not go watch this exciting swashbuckling tale. It was yeah. go watch this slow, incredible movie. You know, Peter Weir. So, um, last thing before we wrap up here, guys. Though oh, this would be such a good one for Cage versus Cruise. We are out of time. I know. I think I think Cruise. Nah, nah, nah. nah. It's perfect with Crow. Your bird is flightless. Yeah. Right? Um, it's not going anywhere. Then there's three action movie categories. Totally ridiculous. Totally legitimate. Ridiculously legitimate. Uh, I don't think I need to really explain them because I think this one just it's slow. It's totally legit. It's not really ridiculous, right? 
Yeah, I mean, the only things that are ridiculous in it are just because it's like Russell Crowe's hair and him playing the, yeah, violin. the violin. Yeah, it's, it, it is totally legitimate. Last but not least, we've got one thing left on the show this week, and it's called The Pitch. Before we do The Pitch, so many people keep talking about In Bruges. Do you really think it's a movie we could do on the show? Because I love In Bruges, and it's not an action movie whatsoever. No, it's very slow. Um, it's very slow. I, we could definitely do In Bruges. I mean, we could do whatever we want. Yeah, it's, yeah. Just, it's got shooting and funny characters <laughs> and Brendan Gleeson. and Gleeson in it. Yeah. Uh, we'll so back to it. The Pitch. Um... Next week, Enemy of the State. Yes, Brianne Chandler, she's coming on the show. It. Yeah, yeah, finally. Yeah, finally. We apologize, Brianne. Uh, I don't know why we couldn't just pull the trigger on this, but it's perfect because it, you think it's a great Christmas movie. Yeah, yeah, totally. Hackman, Will Smith. This will be a fun one. Yeah, this will so, be a lot of fun. I love this movie. I don't remember it super well, but I remember me and my mom loved it. I watched it recently. It's uh, it's entertaining. This will be good to hear someone's perspective on, on one of their favorite movies. Guys, as always, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Find us on Twitter at the M- at AMA Podcast. Yeah, that's that's the place. And remember to like, comment, and review us on YouTube, and keep, keeps us high in the standing. Let's just do this every single week. And getting all those thumbs up and getting all those comments on these videos is really helping us with interacting and helping new people find the show. So please keep that up. Yep. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Marissa. We'll see you guys same time, same place next week. Bye. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners and principals.